Welcome, you're tuned in to Untanglement, a live audience podcast straight from our potatorium in the heart of Danville, Pennsylvania. I mark your guide through the maze of complexity, and today we're diving into the knots of life. From intriguing questions to ideas that keep you scratching your head, we're the professionals of playful exploration. This is the space where big dreams meet even bigger actions. Get ready to explore the untangled path with us. Let's make the complex simple, only here on Untanglement. Hello and welcome to the Poditorium. Let's hear a round of applause from our audience. Yep. Thank you, thank you. We get, we get applause from the beginning, so we make sure we get one. Oh, yes, okay. perfect. <laughs> so welcome, everybody. And uh, my name is Mark. I'm the host today. And my co-host, of course, is uh, sitting beside me as well as everybody in the audience. And so uh, hello, Hide. Uh, welcome. And uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know what you do, how you got there, and then we'll dive in. Sure. Thank you, Mark, so much for having me on this podcast today. I have to tell you, seeing from here is a little bit more intimidating and actually standing in front of the table. Uh, so you should, my voice sounds shaky. That's the reason why. Uh, my name is Hide Horikoshi. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I have a small business here in town, uh, Resurrection Movement Studio and Commotion Dance Program. We've been in business for about nine years now. Uh, and it's been, uh, it's been a quite a journey, a lot of ups and downs through COVID and all. Uh, but more than anything else, I, we like to think that we make our community a little bit better place. That's always been our goal. Uh, and today I'm so excited to share uh, some of the stuff, lessons that we've learned uh, through all these years in terms of how to keep an open line of communication, you know, making sure that our customers or the people that we're serving in this community uh, are getting what they're hoping to get from us. Yeah, nice. And today's theme is, uh, is the moves to help meet customers where they are. Do you notice how the little play on... The, I love it. Yeah, I love it. You know, moves. anytime I do a podcast, there's always a dance, <laughs> like a little, little. what do you call it? Um, yeah, a little, little play reference, on words. Play yes, on words. reference to dance, and I love that. Yeah, so we didn't... We should have had you do some. <laughs> <laughs> we need video for that. <laughs> well, no, it's great to have you. And you. Uh, so it was It was fun. We were, we'll get to like the details. I think we'll get to like your journey. You mentioned about that. So we'll, I think... We'll, we'll tease that out as we talk. Sure. Uh, so everybody knows um, one of the other things we're doing in today's podcast is uh, when Hitty and I sat down to talk about the podcast, he said, hey, have you read Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Godara? And I had started reading it. Mm. So uh, as we started thinking about uh, the theme, uh, moves to meet customers where they are, this book really became kind of a structure sure. for us to think about the conversation. And so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the, so the, because the first point you said was, uh, you said, uh, you know, I want to talk about you internally asking yourself why. So I assume it's mm -hmm. you asking yourself why you do what you do, maybe mm -hmm. working with your staff and saying, why do we do what we do? So let's just start there from the big picture. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with asking why? Uh, how has that helped you? Just dive into why, why did that become the theme for you? Sure. You know, I was thinking about this question for a long time because, you know, as we show prep, you know, we have yeah. this list of things that we want to talk about. And I think the journey to asking why started with self-search. I think as a child, you go through this phase of like, who am I? Why am I here on this earth? All those kind of st questions comes mm -hmm. to play. And 
you know, the story behind opening the business is really when you look at that aspect alone, it, it is kind of a very unique and interesting story. So it was back in 2015. I was on a one year after uh, student visa. After you get a student visa, you get a one year to seek for a job that's going to mm. sponsor your visa. Okay. And my time was running out because around here, sponsoring a visa for a corporation or company meant it was a $5,000 price tag attached to your name on top of everything else that they'll have to pay you. So with six months left in my time here in the United States, not just here in Danville, it's United States. Mm. I said to myself, you know what? I love what I get to do in terms of working with kids and doing this fitness thing that I was doing on the side. I'm just going to go all in. That's my why. I wanted to serve the community, leave a, leave a little bit of myself behind in this community before I left. Yeah. And so that was the true beginning of the question why, right? And so that has always stuck with me in terms of our identity of the studio because we are a creature of habit. We like status quo. We create systems so we don't stray away from the path that we created within our companies and in, in our lives, yeah. right? If comfort. you think about, yeah, comfort. Even things like in the morning, you wake up, you go through the same routine most days until you get out of the door, unless you have kids. They throw a little, <laughs> little curveball in your mix most of the times, right? Uh, but from the moment that you wake up, it's usually the same steps of things that you do. Maybe yeah. you wash your face, maybe you hop in a shower, you brush your teeth, mm -hmm. or whatever it is, and then you make breakfast, maybe you make coffee, whatever. It's in the same exact order. So you have to pause for a second and think, now, that's, a, that's not a good example of you should question why you make coffee before you brush your teeth or anything <laughs> like that. But in business, we run the same way. You know, in a fall, we do this event because we've always done it. Yep. And we do it this exact way because that's how we've always done it. And we don't often take the time to pause and say, wait, what if there's a better way to be able to do the event that we always host in a fall? Yeah. Or what if there's a different way of thinking even if you go to a summit or conference and they say this is a way to do it, what if there's another way to do it that works better for you mm -hmm. uh, within your walls? Um, so that's kind of like the origin of the why. And yep. I try my, I, and, and I'm not perfect at this. I think we all have the, the norm that we tend to shift back into, especially mm -hmm. in a stressful time. Um, but I try my best to ask the question why as often as possible. Yeah. And so we'll talk a little bit about your personal stressful mm. time more recently here in sure. a little bit. But so it, it, there's kind of these two aspects of the why question. The why is it helps us figure out why we started something. It helps us understand the core of our business. But then the why becomes introspective mm -hmm. and in terms of, well, why are we doing that? Right. So there's there's multiple ways of considering why. And I, and I think that's important, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so you talked a little bit about uh, systems, mm -hmm. which near and dear to us, right? The work that we do here is about helping people build capacity through building systems. So like, give us an example, because I think this is a, this is a place that roots us. Um, you had mentioned an event, and maybe that was uh, foretelling that that was something that maybe you were thinking, oh, why? Why, why do we do that? Maybe something even really small, maybe it's, you, you determine it, maybe it's something small or big, what was that most recent time where you and maybe your team, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your team so we can understand how this mm -hmm. impacts the group of people, uh, that you use that why moment to really make a shift or change? Is there something recent? Sure. I think, you know, when I think of the, I mean, the prime example, I go back to the time of COVID. Uh, we're mm -hmm. a dance program. We're kids-centered. Oh, yeah. Business is shut down. 
recitals, dance recitals, are like the culmination of what <laughs> these dancers work the entire year for. Obviously, indoor recital was not an option. And this was, I think, the second year of COVID. First year of COVID, we did something different as well. But collectively, as a staff, we had this mindset, and we've always talked about this, kids first. Mm. The, fir- the, the, the last question and the first question we always come back to is, what would be the best thing for these kids? And we knew that not giving them the opportunity to dance is not the answer that would fit into mm-hmm. that category. So we put our heads together. We said, how about this? How about this? And through the, the conversation and the teamwork, we landed on, how about we do an outdoor recital? That's a doable thing. Yeah. We can find a venue and we can make it fun. And it turns out we're, what, four years out of COVID now? We still do outdoor recital because it's so much fun. And yeah. we can provide an atmosphere that is perfect to our culture. Um, and that was kind of like we were forced into our back against the wall, but we kept our eyes on the goal of making sure that we mm-hmm. can provide what we say we want to do through our facility. And we landed on that answer. Yeah. And, and most likely, well, because you had not done an outdoor recital mm-hmm. prior. Yep. Right. So there were reasons why you didn't. Do you know some of those reasons why you didn't? Because it's a tradition, right? You think of a dance <laughs> program, you sign up for your kids, you expect this like fall, I mean, spring dance recital indoors and do all of the things that comes with it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when you, and I think it's as an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. we, when you start a business model or whatever business that you want to start, you tend to fall in the footsteps of the people who's done it before. Yeah. And I was thinking about this and uh, this imagery came to mind. There's, there's fresh snow out there outside when we walk out right now. Right. And when you walk on a trail, like the Geisinger trail behind our house, Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to walk on a path that somebody has already walked on in the snow. But it's so much more exciting to create your own path on a fresh snow. And sometimes it's okay to walk on somebody's path, but eventually as a business owner, you have to stray away to create your own path. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, I'm assuming yes. that, that was a little harder to do an outdoor recital. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so what are the things, some of the things you had to think about? And again, maybe nobody else in here has a studio, but think about what, what did you have to try to figure out that, that was like maybe even like exponentially more difficult than it was just to have it indoors? Sure. In an indoor recital, there's a backstage where mm. you don't see the chaos of what's going on behind <laughs> the stage with the dancers, like a five-year-old running around, butt naked, that kind of situation. So we had to create a backstage that worked for us. Yeah. So we had to hire, uh, we had to rent like a big tent. Yeah. So that became like, quote unquote, our backstage where yep. kids can change and make sure that they're dressed well before they come out. Mm-hmm. And the flow, because it's an open field, we had to create the flow ourselves to make sure that it flows nicely. Yeah. So the dancers, because we have 250 kids in the program, Ooh. we, you know, yeah. and it's easy. And there's only like 15 to 20 dancers on stage at a time to make sure that the show goes flawlessly and making sure that every dancer who signed up for that class gets on the stage, we had to establish a great flow to make sure that happens. Mm-hmm. And now, every year we try to improve it. First year, I would say, I, looking back at it now, it wasn't as great as it could have been. But first time, we have mm-hmm. to go in with the mindset that this is going to be rough. Yeah. Second year, if you can look back and say, this is how we're going to improve that experience, mm-hmm. we can kind of narrow down to the areas that we can improve then we, then we can make it better and we're continuously uh, continuing on that trend. Yeah. Are you a perfectionist? Uh, I don't. So within my staff, I'm not the perfectionist of the perfectionist. Yeah. There's yeah. people. So like when you, when, when you form a team, it's like you have to have a common goal, but you want different abilities and qualities. Mm. 
I I don't fall into that perfectionist category. Yeah, somebody yeah. on your team is absolutely. Yeah, so the attention to a lot of the details that were probably mm-hmm. a lot harder when you went outside. You had yep. a team behind you paying attention to those right. details, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's we'll tie in the book a little bit here now because I imagine some of those things were unreasonable in yeah. terms of, in terms of details, right? Uh, unreasonable. Um, and uh, the re- the reason I think it, this is a good segue is um, uh, when you think about like how when you think about the book and you think about unreasonable hospitality um i want to give you an example and share an example with the group and then we can kind of tie in maybe some maybe some of you've had these moments um so will shares an example in his book so uh will Godara, famous restaurateur by the way just to give you context and so um 11 madison park, park. Right, uh restaurant uh new york and uh, he, the, the quest to be the number one restaurant, restaurant in the world. So this is the journey to become the number one restaurant in the world. Spoiler alert, they are. They, they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I actually have to figure that out. Once you're number one, like, you know, do you slide backwards? Or they just take you off. The, I don't know. You know, <laughs> take you off the list. Um, but he shares a story where he has worked really hard to get the staff to be very observant of everybody's behaviors and everybody's watching out for the unreasonableness of things and watching out for the rules and, you know, these things that we talk about, we do all the time. He's in the restaurant. He's uh, talking to some guests. He leaves the table and one of uh, the people that report to him pulls him into a private room because they knew that was the rule. You don't talk about things in public, pulls him into a private room and says, you leaned on the table. And, and then he proceeds to say, uh-huh. And the, you, can, you can tell that the why question is in the mm-hmm. background, right? So he's, mm-hmm. he's like, okay. And he's like, tell me more. And he's like, well, you, you leaned on a table. Okay. And so, so it's this really interesting interaction where he's obviously trying to pull the, why are you telling me this? Mm-hmm. And the 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 staff member, I don't remember if he was a busser or a, a, um, uh, a captain, uh, he proceeds to get really frustrated with Will because Will's not he's not biting. You know, he, he's just kind of like, okay, I leaned on the table, and eventually he's just like, you don't understand, we don't lean on tables. And Will's like, why? And he couldn't answer the question. He was like, right. he's like, we just don't lean on table. He just like got furious about it. Mm-hmm. And he goes. And he literally stopped and Will looked at me and he goes, we have to change that. And, and the reason he wanted to change that was part of the mission of the organization, right. right? It was like, when I'm at a table, if I can't connect, if I can't come into the table and lean on the table and have a conversation with whoever's there, I'm missing the point of our mission. Mm-hmm. And so this little interaction. So it's, uh, when we talked, we called them ghost rules. Mm. Right. The kind of rules. Have if you had those kind of moments? I mean, maybe not as dramatic enough to write them in a book, but have you had these moments with your team where maybe somebody in the team or you have called out kind of an obvious like, you know, why do we do that one thing? And maybe, you know, if it's specific, that would be great. Uh, it's more of why it, it's um, so when you think about like in terms of dance programs, there's yeah. two sides to it. There's recreation and competition. And mm. A lot of the studios nowadays is heading more towards including a competition team along with their recreational program. But that's a hard no for us. And every Mm -hmm. conference that you go to, they promote, if you have a dance program, you need to have a comp team. You need to get your name out there. That's the way to go. Because if you keep winning, if you keep recognized, that's how your dancer is going to be recognized, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. But when I look at youth sports scenes and Mm -hmm. and dance in general, it's like I ask myself, 
why do we need to take that step? And to us, when as a person that really cares about kids' youth mental health, competition in a subjective sport, right? When you are comparing yeah. two dance styles, it is really difficult, incredibly difficult to judge which one's better without having a solid scoring sheet, right? It's not like sports where one team scores more goal than the other. Yeah. This is all subjective. So if, I tr- if we truly care about the kids, in our mind, we're collectively agreeing competition is not the way to go. So these are hard, difficult questions because we do get, you know, questions mm-hmm. asked from the families and the communities from like, how come you guys don't have a competition team? Yep. And this is our why. And I always say, like, if you can explain the decision with a solid why as to reasoning, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it's now time for the audience. So I'd be interested. So we're going to grab that mic and uh, hopefully somebody can uh, uh, respond here. But if we... If we look at um, anybody in the audience that maybe has a formalized process, and this is this is kind of like the next question, like within your organization, do you have any processes that are formalized? Like how do you ask yourself why? And if you don't, maybe just share a moment where it's like, you know what, mm, this isn't a formal process, but it kind of happened recently where we just had to ask ourselves why, 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 and we ended up with a better service. So mm-hmm. toss that microphone around. Anybody uh, want to share? Um, ooh, this is this is a deep thought here. Have you had a moment where you've asked yourself, why do we do it that way? Why, why, why? No. Oh, go. Great. Fantastic. Thank you. Tell um, us who you are first and then, uh, yep. My name is Meredith Bowen Meredith. and um, I'm in staffing and recruiting. And um, I came out of a large corporation um, when it was small, but um, a lot of companies came out of that same corporation and started their own staffing and recruiting companies. And so they all adopted, like to your point with walking the path, they all adopted the same way of doing it um, for years. And as did my former company. And when my business partner and I started our own company, we questioned one part of the process and the process overall, it works really well, um, which is why I think all of the offshoots did it the same way. But um, the type of recruiting that we were doing and then the market, it was we opened a few months before shutdown for COVID. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) um, the market changed and we recognized that the way we were doing um, a couple of the steps of the process were just really inefficient. And we were losing candidates to other opportunities because of this one particular step. So we just asked ourselves, like, how can we eliminate this? to be able to move through the process faster, but still deliver quality candidates and matches. Um, and ended up being successful. So we continued to, to do without even mm-hmm. after lockdown and stuff came yeah. back open. And, and both of you talked about um, changing uh, a process or, or committing to a not process, right? I mean, you committed to not being com- com- uh, in the, the competitions. I'm curious from both your perspectives, does that give you uh, a, an advantage? Right. Do you, do you market that? Right. And because I, I was thinking about from your perspective, right, people who parents who really don't want that competitive environment and you're committed to, to saying, look, we're not going to pursue that. So that's your ideal. That's your ideal family. That's your mm-hmm. ideal people to work with because they're like, I trust that he's not going to send us down this road of one day saying, oh, all of a sudden we're competitive, mm-hmm. like we're competing. Is that is that a fair thing to say that that helps you clarify who you serve and and keeps the people happy and consist uh, and con- content with what you do? It's uh, so that's a very complicated question in a <laughs> sense. We don't focus on 
selling what we don't do. Yeah. But we focus on what the, the, the culture we try to create. And as a result of that, the choice that we make. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So the culture to us is so, so important that we have to be protective of it. Right. Yes. So we yeah. want a positive, inclusive, uplifting environment within our walls. So if we want to focus on that, then to us, competing in the dance world goes totally against that. And it doesn't provide value to the culture we're trying to create. Love it. Yeah. And did you find the same with uh, once you differentiated a little bit that it was a, an advantage and clarified some of your mission vision mm-hmm. that allowed people to clearly know who you were? Yeah. And I th- it's not something that we talk about, right. um, but our candidate experience and then delivering quality candidates to the clients in a timely manner are very important to us. And so we were able to keep both of those um, at a high level. And so, I again, like it's not a process like we don't lay it out yeah. to, <laughs> to yeah. candidates when we call. But um, I think to your point today is that like with the culture, like you want to be able to maintain that culture and the candidate experience. So yeah, we definitely were able to do that. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I think it is interesting because these are the places where we can talk about those things. Like we can talk about what we don't do in order to, to build our culture, but obviously you're right, right? We're not going to have this conversation necessarily out and about. It's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, it's great to meet you. My business is mindset. Here's what we don't do. <laughs> right. You know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. There have been times when I felt like I needed to say that. It's like, no, we don't do that. Um, but, uh, anybody else, uh, be thinking about, uh, chiming in and toss that microphone around. So, um, Okay, so but keep on keep on doing that, uh, passing the mic. Um, so let's talk about day to day. Let's like like talk about kind of we've talked a little bit at the mission level, vision sure. level. So let's talk tactics now, like on a daily basis. Uh, small interactions mm-hmm. mean a lot. Yeah. Are are there small interactions that you, helps you meet your customers? In your case, would you call them students? Do you call them uh, dancers? Do you call them what? What do you call the people you serve? Uh, you know, I so customers is not a word that we use often. Yeah, I didn't we think so. yeah, we typically use dancers, athletes, families, caregivers. Right. Care- we don't yeah. call them parents for a reason. We call okay. them caregivers right. uh, to be as inclusive as we can. So word choices matter, right? Yes. So we want to make sure we don't eliminate people by the words that we're choosing to use. So those are things that we try to be really, really careful with. Speaking of which, I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about in the book was mm. the example of uh, the restaurant staff uh, paying attention to kind of the conversation that's happening at the table uh, yeah. and delivering to their needs. There's a couple examples of this that happens in the book. And the one that you wrote about was the, the snowy day in New York. Um, but there's another thing that they talk about in terms of a dirty water hot dog in New York City. <laughs> so if you've been to New York City, those streetcar vendors who pull out the hot dog from the dir- dirty water, right? He talks about... <laughs> that Yummy. so bad. <laughs> I know you're hungry now. Uh, <laughs> but he talks about um, how when the customers show up with, for him in the book, suitcases, that it's the biggest compliment. Because it means that these customers have chosen the restaurant as the first or the last destination on their vacation spot. Yeah. And so he was paying attention to this particular group. And they have gone to all the high-end restaurants, including EMP and all the, all the names of the restaurant that you can think of in New York City. And the conversation tell the one thing we didn't do was have this dirty water hot dog. So, you know, he had a staff member go get a dirty hot, hot, dirty water hot dog and create a dish out of it and served it. And that was the happiest that they felt. And that was the best meal that these customers had. 
In this story, what sticks out to me the most is Will's ability to see customers coming into the restaurant with the suitcase as the biggest compliment. So a lot of things that we do needs to be based off of what we see and hear. How well are we paying attention to the people that's coming through the, through the hallway? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I love this quote that I heard one time. says, a lot of things are caught and not taught. So can we catch our customers and in, in, in the need that they're expressing through how they're acting or how, how they're interacting with us? And how can we address that need or how can we meet them where they are yeah. in terms of what they're bringing to the table? So it's not the act of him sending a staff to a hot dog cart and then delivering what they're seeking for. It's the fact that he was able to assess the situation and say, this is a big compliment. I want to honor that. I think that attitude and mindset as the people who serve the community is so important. You know, one of the things that I thought about was I'm Japanese. So I come back, come from a culture of a bowing culture. Mm -hmm. When you meet somebody new, when you meet somebody, we bow to each other. Right. And it's a way of symbolizing, hey, like I'm lowering myself because it's an honor to meet you in any interaction that we have. And I think we need a little bit of that in terms of just society as a whole here. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially when we're running our business that like, hey, I'm honored that you've chosen to step into our facility. I want to make sure that I can honor your presence by the services or anything that we do here and make sure that you're getting what you need. Yeah. Yeah, that that story. Uh, first of all, it, there, and there's many stories in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, they it, Will talks about uh, they actually hired positions in the restaurant to be the the Dreamweavers. Yes, Dreamweavers. I lo- love it. So like there are people specifically hired to be watchful and observant, and the the folks on the floor, the captains on the floor, the the wait staff are are literally providing signals over to the Dreamweavers about little things that they could do uh, and and won't spoil it, but they, in the book they talk about all the little things they do for people. Um, so, uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, and I'd love to hear some audience folks talk about maybe how you do this, but it's that observation. So mm-hmm. you work with students, young students. Uh, so they, they come in with the equivalent of a suitcase now and then, right? Mm-hmm. You know, are there those moments where you're like, you know, it's not a suitcase, but I can tell they're carrying something mm-hmm. and it tells you about what you need to create for them for that night or that session. Is that, mm-hmm. is that fair that that's what happens? So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to youth, I think to mental health issues is, it's, is, is a well-known fact in terms of that's something that we're really trying to help navigate through. Um, and the way we came up with it is creating that channel line of communication where they feel we need to create a safe environment where they feel comfortable coming to us. Um, and uh, we already had a, this, uh, this program called peer leadership, uh, in place where we were fostering next generation of leaders from middle school to the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also started to incorporate monthly meetings with the peer leaders to just give it, give a place where they can talk and where they can learn. Uh, so just like this, once a month, once a month, I meet with the high school peer leaders. Nice. These are kids who says, uh, who's, I, who says, I want to help out with the younger classes. Um, they don't have to be the best at their discipline. That's not the intention. It's just their desire and want to want to be a leader within our program and want to foster that. Um, and then we meet, we sit down. And last year there was a, a, a tragedy that happened at the end of the high school. And it so turns out that the peer leader meeting following that tragedy 
was the best thing that could have happened for them. And mm -hmm. they expressed that to me af afterwards, a couple months later, because they had a place where can they, they can just sit and talk about what they're feeling and what they're going through. Even if they struggle through words and if, even if the, it, all they did was just cry in that meeting, it was exactly what they needed. Mm -hmm. Because I think we get so caught up in the to-dos mm -hmm. yeah. that we forget to provide a space where we can just sit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's those to-dos that if we're so focused on those to-dos, your students or your dancers walk in, you provide them a class, they walk out. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not at all. I mean, like, so, and I think that that's a great example. I, I really do like that. Putting that program in place to me, although the word is weird because of the association with what you just talked about is uh, like unreasonable. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you're, you're as an organization, you're putting something that's really connected to the people that you're serving, the families you're serving. Uh, it is part of your core vision and mission, mm -hmm. uh, but by definition, is it a, a gym thing or a dance thing or a, you know, um, it, it is, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like a restaurant providing, uh, the, the dirty hot dog uh, went yeah. way above what was on the, <laughs> on the menu. Right. Right. So it, this goes, that went above what was on the menu, but it, sure. but it really identifies you. Uh, so, uh, again, I love, uh, yeah, well, we have somebody who wants to chat something up here. So great. Tell us who you are first. And then, uh. Join in. Um, hi, my name is Lisette Knight. I'm um, mostly a stay-at-home mom. I do work with uh, the nonprofit organization Residence Auxiliary here um, in Danville, but um, which was uh, kind of talked about on a we a have past a podcast. podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, but m a majority of my time, I spent working the job as as a mom, which is, as many of you know, is no small feat. But I'm um, so, I'm, and I've I've worked in big businesses before I have that experience working with big businesses. And then a lot of the stuff that's been discussed is very like resonating with me. I'm like, Oh, I've had those experiences. I understand those things, but now I'm coming from the standpoint of as a consumer and then not only that a consumer in a small community. Um, and just, I found the thing that helps the most is for me to connect with the community is just, you know, kind of reaching out to small businesses and going and talking to the small businesses and buying things at times that are kind of slow in the season. Mm. Um, and I, we don't make a lot of money, but I can, you know, do something like uh, not go buy that and go buy, go help my community instead. Um, as a small business heat, I mean, you have like 250 students, my children go to your dance studio um, and they love it. But um you know, that one point where you were just getting started and to other small businesses in the community, what ways can we as a community, besides just, you know, kind of going when we can, kind of provide that support and that kind of, you know, that feeling that that business, like, yeah, I want to continue going because it's hard. It's mm -hmm. really hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we started the nonprofit a year ago and it's fantastic. And I, can't imagine doing anything else, but it's a lot of work. Um, and so how do businesses, whether big or small, like when they get kind of put into those corners and stuff, how do they lean on the community to continue to like move forward? Sure. Um, thank you for that. Um, that's a really tough question for me to answer because my stance as a small business owner has always been that it is a privilege to be a small business owner. And I think that's a really important stance. 
that I wish, you know, future entrepreneurs mm-hmm. understood is that it's a privilege to be able to open a small business in a community and continue to operate um, because we could be doing something else, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's for us to be succeeding alone is a great way to feel like, okay, we're doing, we're doing something positive to the community and we mean so much. Um, honestly, for me, I, it's, it's weird to use a word lucky in this context, but I was lucky enough to see what our program went when I was in the hospital this summer. Mm. Um, and if it, that completely changed my outlook on on how I viewed our business as is as, in, in terms of what we mean to the community. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I, I was hospitalized in June 13th of this past year with necrotizing fasciitis. And I was in the ICU for a little about a week. Uh, there was two or three days there that literally everybody thought I was just going to die. Um, and after a month of recovery, I was able to come out. And, you know, when I woke up, one of the first stories that I was told was about the prayer circle that was formed outside of the outside of the Geisinger building that I was staying in, uh, which I think, Jerry, you were there to cover that story as well, uh, which is so nice to see you now. Um, but I was told there was 250 people from the community that came out just for that prayer circle alone. And when I heard that, I, I, I mean, I still, when I talk about it, I get chills because my question to myself is like, what did I do to deserve that? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't deserve, I don't know why so many people would come out for that prayer circle. And it meant so much when I chose, when I decided to accept that that was a thing that people wanted to do for me was to, that that was the least thing that they could do. Um, And in a way, when I realized and just chose to accept that as community members giving back, just saying, hey, thanks for all you've done. Um, it meant so much and kind of shifted my perspective and, and overdrive into, I cannot wait to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. And that's been my driving factor. So for in a way, uh, Lisette, what you're asking me is like, I've already received that and, and I was so grateful to receive it. Now I just can't wait to give back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that that is such an interesting perspective. It is tempting as a business to keep, to, to step back and say, you know, well, how comes the community isn't responding? How come the community isn't responding? And, you know, but I'd love more people from the community to walk in here and do business with us. And what can I do to convince them to come in the door? And that last thing is the thing that when we talk about being observant and, and, and meeting people where they are, if we do that, I th- I, you know, it's, it's not... It's not like the silver bullet. It doesn't solve things overnight, but it ge- it gives it puts us in the driver's seat of saying, "Well, my business is about helping people that need this, and I'm observing that people in the community need this, and so I'm providing that." And I think the more we do that as business owners and small business owners, we stop we stop that thinking about, "Well, why are people not coming? Why are people not coming?" And I think a lot of times that they're not coming because you're not listening, mm-hmm. right? Or we're struggling to listen, or maybe the filter through which we're looking at the community is so thick based on our biases and our perspectives. Um, there's a great quote in the book um, where Will talks about perspective. I don't know if you, you remember this. It's like, you know, picking one, one, one thing out. Page 169 in the book. You remember that? <laughs> no, because I listened to it on Audible. So oh, that's it doesn't right. Page doesn't read the page numbers. <laughs> so uh, he said, um, perspective has an expiration date, no matter how hard you try to hold on to it. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, and I, I think that what's really interesting about that is it goes in both ways, right? As like, we can think that we've got the answer and that's always the filter through which we look at the world and see reality. Uh, and, uh, and, and in fact, he, there's another, there's another quote in here, page 129. He said, um, the, customers, the people you serve, their perspective is our reality. Mm. Right. And, and so anyway, we could maybe talk a little bit more about that, but, uh, um, uh, other things about the book. I've loved it. There's there a couple quotes in there and I, I wonder if there's anything else in the book that really, uh, hit you that can, we can tease out a little bit more of the conversation. Um, um, you know, I think it's, I go back to the beginning of the book. So Will talks yeah. about his experience, about losing his mom yes. and taking his dad uh, to, I forget the restaurant name, but it was. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It was Daniel Blue's restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the famous restaurants, and how, because in culinary school, he kind of took care of Daniel uh, when he came to guest teach. Daniel invited him into his kitchen in a room or in a table where they can see the entire facility of the restaurant. And it was like a. It was like an experience that he'll never forget. Um, but when you experience that, and then the thing that stuck out to me was when you experience hardship and then there's a, there's a response that kind of wakes you up and says, wow, I was lucky enough to be treated this way. I can't wait to make somebody else feel the same thing that I felt. It changes the motivation behind why what you, why what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was I go back to high school of the days where I was struggling with mental health. It's one of the one one of the reasons why I really can understand what these high school kids are going through. In terms of, I had a mentor, Peter Reed is his name, Doctor Peter Reed. He was his title was school psychologist, uh, but he was so much more than that to the kids. At this point, I I moved to the United States when I was twelve with no English. So you probably can't imagine that at this point when I'm doing a podcast, you know, <laughs> but at 12 years old coming into the United States, no English. And I'm in at, at this point, like ninth or 10th grade. That's not enough time for anybody to learn the language of English and try to acu- acu- acclimate to the high school system in the United States. And my home life wasn't as great. I have a good relationship with my parents now, but in American today's standard, it was uh, some level of child abuse that was going on. It was accepted in Japan, so it's not, it's not, unfair, it's not it's unfair to compare the two, but for, from today's context, it was a child abuse that was happening at home. So I was going through a lot of things, and Peter was the only person who basically kept me alive. Um, and so when Peter passed away in my sophomore year of college, I made an oath to myself that I wanted to fill the shoes that he left behind to serve the kids. And that's been my driving force from, day, from that day on. And that's the mission I continue to serve. So one of the biggest things that I always tell my kids is really try to find your why. And I hope that you find, I, and not that I wish bad will on you, but I hope that you have a chance to go through true adversity and come out of it, mm-hmm. finding your true mission that you can make a world a little bit better place while you're here on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. There, there are some moments in podcasts. I think, well, we could wrap right there, (laughs) Uh, um, but uh, any other comments from and and contributions? Yeah. We got Denny in the back would like to add something. Thank you. So introduce yourself and then 
Go ahead. Uh, I'm Danny Hummer, and I'm with uh, Bucknell Small Business Development. Uh, Hide, thank you. Your message is beautiful. Uh, I think the fact that you tied it to this book on unreasonable hospitality resonates greatly with me, just one, having been a small business owner uh, pretty much my whole life, and now getting to work with small businesses and understanding what makes them tick. And your message, I could sum up, any business can be a part of a community or come to a community, but not every business can be in community. Hmm. And I think what you've done with Resurrection in your studio, in your students, your business is in community. Yeah. And that's very powerful. And we're grateful for entrepreneurs like you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Danny. So... All right, so uh, one of the things we always like to do is um, uh, tie a little bit into something that, that people could act on right now. Sure. And I think there's something in the book that's worth uh, kind of wrapping up. And, and thank you for sharing very personal stories. And you know, biz- our businesses are, are part of our lives, right? They should oh, be. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I, I think so. So let's, let's, talk, about, uh, let's talk about Will's 95.5. Sure. So, um, so uh, in reading the book, I think this is something that all businesses could do because uh, we were talking about this this morning, I think even with Denny, and he's like, "But how? Like, how? How do you do that? How do you? How do you bring that kind of unreasonable hospitality moment? How do you create the the space to go grab a hot dog?" Um, another story, which I think I'll share, and this is uh, relates to the '95, is uh, the snow that you mentioned about the snow and about the sleds. So, a family from Spain, I believe, correct? Mm-hmm. Family from Spain in the restaurant again, kind of suitcases. You know, that was there was their last stop. Um, so EMP, big windows, they're sitting in the restaurant, big windows looking out on part in the park and it starts to snow. And of course, uh, I think three or four kids maybe, uh, and the kids are just like, ah, it's snow. They had, you know, not, never really seen snow. And of course, you know, they can tell these kids are super, super excited about the snow. So the restaurant staff notices this, uh, they go down the street, they get four sleds, they come back with the four sleds. They call a chauffeured car. They load the, the sleds into the chauffeured car. And before the family leaves, they say, hey, before you leave, we just want you to know, when you leave, the car is going to take you to the park, go sledding. When you're done, the car will bring you back. Right? And and so it's just, it's just like, right, how about paying attention and meeting people where they are now? And, and Will talks about this in the book, and he says, that a lot of people will say, yeah, well, that's easy to do when you're serving $1,000 meals. And you know what? That level of unreasonable hospitality, you know, maybe there is an expense to that that's beyond most people. However, how can you approach, how can you approach that? And a simple rule is manage 95%, mm. manage 95% of your budget very specifically and very tightly and 5% of your budget, blow it on those things. So whatever that is, then give yourself that, that gut. And as you grow, then you, that 5% can grow, mm-hmm. right? Um, so uh, that story, I think it's pretty early in the book. And then he actually repeats, the, he does. Re- re- repeats that later it's kind of to bring us back home. And I think that's a really interesting model and uh, about um, unreasonable hospitality. I think it's it's true in terms of finances, which I'm not an expert in finances, so I definitely don't do the 95-5. Yeah. But I think it's all true in terms of other aspects of the business as mm-hmm. well. Uh, so when it comes back to like walking in on somebody's path, 
maybe you're doing that 95% of the time, but, but be, be willing to create your own path the 5% of the time. Yep. So I think about, you know, when I would like to walk on the trails, maybe 90% of the time I'm walking on, w- walking on somebody's trails or right next to it. But 5% of the time I'm making my own path. And the, you, the, the goal is clear in terms of where you want to aim if you have a mission and a vision, right? And as long as you're inching towards there in the overall picture, that's the ultimate goal of a small business, I think. Yeah. There's, a, there's a purpose why you created this business and you want to serve that purpose at the end of the day. The journey is long and it's never ending. And sometimes it's okay to walk on somebody's path, but most of the time you got to be willing to challenge yourself to create your own path to get to where you want to be. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank it's hard you. to believe the time it goes fast. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely does. So uh, uh, I would love for people to know how to connect up with you uh, before we go. So is there a place where we can visit and, and connect up with you to learn more and just to talk with you? Sure. Um, the best way to reach, reach me is uh, my email, email rmsdanville at yahoo.com. Okay. Or you can check out our website at www.rmsdanvillepa.com. Com. I also have all the social media outlets, so feel free to find me and connect with me. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yep. Untanglement is produced by Mindset. We help our clients design, develop, and deliver high-impact learning experiences. You can learn more about our full range of event, learning, and production services by visiting Mindset at mynddset.com. Until next time, I hope you can achieve a little untanglement in your life. Cheers. Cheers.